Welcome to episode 129 of the Muck Podcast, a member of the Odd Pods Media Network. Listen in as we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Hadamio. And I'm Hillary Doherty. <laughs> Hillary! <laughs> Happy Pride, everybody! Happy Pride! Happy Pride. Well, Aww. we're recording on the 18th, so this is the big Pride celebration. But yes. the whole month is Pride Month. Yes. But we celebrate uh, with our caucus. We're we'll walking in the... Um, in the Pride Parade in Walt Manners today, which is really a pride exciting. Brunch. We're going to a Pride. Yes. That's why we're recording at the ass crack of dawn yes. today because we need Ooh. to help Alfredo at the <laughs> at the brunch. I was I went to bed last night and I was like, "There's so much to do tomorrow." I'm not, and then after the Pride brunch because we're going to host Nikki Fried at this Pride brunch. Yes. Um, there's a, there's Val, a Demings. Val Demings event yes. at the venue, which Alfredo's like, are you coming? And I'm like, is there a point I can go home before the parade and like take a nap? <laughs> like, is there any chance that I'm going to be able to do that? So oh I'm going to, I'm not going to Val Demings. And, um, I'm excited because the parade is fun. We, t- we, we were just talking yes. about how you have to get up, you have to get there early. Yes. Like it's, I think the parade starts at seven. You got to get in line at like four 30. Um, or five, or at least the people to hold the spot. Everybody else shows up at seven. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's fun because you get to see so many people and oh, it's an election it is year. so much fun. So everybody has a car. So I get to, like, Hillary Cassell is going to be in it. I get yes. to see her. Um, Jason Pizzo. Jason Pizzo, who's now our, officially our Florida State Senator. Yes, congratulations. Yes, congratulations, Senator Pizzo. And, um, and come, when are you coming on Little Muck? Yo, what? when are you coming on, though? Hi. But, like, when are you coming on, though? Yeah. But like when <laughs> um, we saw him this week and uh, and with 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 the wonderful and beautiful Lauren book as well. Oh, my goodness. And they had like this roundtable discussion. Alfredo asked us to go to it. It was a really, really good. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I can't keep my mouth shut, though. Like, no, but can't do it. Can't but do that, it. But that's the point of a roundtable is to, yeah. uh, you know, air our worries and our thoughts and our yeah. concerns and what we see as constituents that maybe we don't realize what's happening on the other, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and but do you think having, I was, do you feel like I was yelling? No. Okay, good. <laughs> because I was like hitting the table where I was like, and this, and this, and this, and this. And I was like, cause they had all these wonderful ideas. I mean, let's be honest. There's no party. This is what I said. Like there's no party on the state level, the County level, like there's zero parties. And it had, what had led into that was that, the DNC, the National Democratic Committee, is not going to be giving us any money in Florida. Like they yeah. have written off the national level Florida uh, or national level Democrats have written off Florida as a red state. So I mean, when I tell you that people no like money's coming, like in. the wonderful Wes Davis, who was on our podcast <gasps> last Friday. I hope you go check out his little muck. Uh, like people like him who keep the faith and hope and they fight. Like there's real people here in Florida who aren't these fucking assholes. Right. But the fuck apparently the Democratic Party has forgotten that. Yeah. And so what you what you're left with are these state leaders like a Senator Book and a Senator Pizzo or a Chevron Jones, or Michelle Rayner and, uh, you know, who have to actually lead. They have to run for office, work in the legislature and run the fucking party. Right. Like you make sure people are running in seats that we can flip things like this. Crisscrossing Senator Pizzo gets elected because he didn't have a an opponent. And so he gets automatically he's a senator. Right. right? No, nobody run against him. That's which is fine because now what he tweeted is that now for the next five weeks he's going to be crisscrossing the state and pumping up Dem candidates and helping them raise right. money and, and going God. out there and supporting them. That's fucking leadership. That's what leadership yes. looks like, and that's what the party and should be doing on the national to level. To the, the the electeds, it, it makes me wonder that I would think 
that certain areas of red states that are flippable is where you would want to dump a ton of money to help that happen instead of writing off the entire state. Like, especially in the case of our governor's race, when we have, you know, this lunatic at the helm, Mm. why aren't you doing, like, we're drowning. Why aren't you doing everything you can to draw attention to this race, to draw attention to the, what is it, the $750 an hour? (laughs) DeSantis is spending on a lawyer to fight these ridiculous lawsuits. Right. Not to mention that the lawyer is his buddy, buddy from, from, you know, when he was in the Jaguar because he's so cool. Yeah. Like, are we not, isn't that, do we not see the people who, who love DeSantis? Do you guys not see what he's doing? It's taxpayer dollars that are going to pay for these stupid ass lawsuits so that he can throw his little political footballs around and try to get elected president. And, and it's our money. And you want to talk about our money when we have a housing crisis, we have an insurance crisis, unemployment. I mean, come on plus climate. Like there's things in Florida that we really need to deal with. And this is the bullshit that, that we're going to be spending our money on. Hmm. And the, and the national party can't come in and, and we're an SOS, like help us. It is, I want to tell you something, what I think. I, I may, and this is going to sound very snowflakey, like, oh, look at it, right, write that down as a title, <laughs> snowflakey, like, oh my God. But I think it's a bit of form of abuse that these legislators go there with the intentions of like passing really good laws, which... They do. They pass. There's things you never hear about, right? That right, are good things right, that have happened. Right, right. This session, last session, but it's, everything's and overshadowed. They across, shadowed. And they work across the aisle and it would be yeah. lovely to hear all of that. Yeah. I, I would prefer it. But what honestly. the media focuses on and what we all focus on with our hair on fire is like, don't say gay. And because trans these are hurting, Absolutely. 15 week people. abortion ban. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what's really disturbing about the whole thing is that these legislators have to go up there and scream and fight against these things that they know are so fucking wrong, Right. I think it's a bit of abuse because you know that it's unconstitutional. They tell you when these Republican lawmakers are like copying and pasting these bills and they say they people in their office, yeah, they're waiting for the law. You know, the aides in their offices are like, this is kind of really against the constitution of the country. And they're like, fucking push it through. Right. Yeah. DeSantis just wants it pushed through. It's a fucking entirely, it's such a waste of energy, time, resources. Every one of these things gets fucking thrown out in court. Right. And they fight it in court and it fucking gets thrown out. And it's just such a fucking waste of time. The amount of time and energy and money that could be going to things that actually help Floridians, which by the way, would boost your ratings. Like, right. you could it get reelected on good things. I know. Why is that? Why are we want to get reelected a, on shit things? Yeah, that's like, true. That's you, true. You know how many people would vote for you if you fixed housing and like right. capped the fucking rent or, or whatever the plan is? Like you could fucking get ton, tens of thousands of votes, hundreds of thousands of votes. If you fix one or two things, it's, I mean, show an I, interest I don't in people. know how people are surviving. Uh-oh. I don't know how they're surviving these rent hikes and then you can't buy anything. And the fact that like paying rent on an apartment is more than like what I'm paying for my mortgage yeah. because I happen to got my mortgage like 10 years ago right. or whatever the hell it was like. Yeah. It is frightening. And now the mortgage rates are, are almost double. Mm. It's, it's, you know, everyone's underwater. Yeah. Like we're underwater from the climate crisis and with the housing crisis on our mortgages and our rents and all of that. It's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. <sighs> um, I just wanted to mention the insurrection committee a little bit because I've been. Oh, I got to tell you, I was pissed off. Deep dive into this. I, like, I was a I'm little pissed in off uh, at the last one. 
Why? Not pissed off. The thing that, 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 and I understand why they're doing it. But like, if I have to hear about how, like the hero oh. Mike Pence. Oh, no, no, no. And no, like, no. I get okay. it. Like he yes. did the right thing at the last minute before our entire country was destroyed. But he spent a lot of time next to him. Listen. And, and so did these other people. And, and to now we're bolstering him up as the, the savior no. of American democracy. Like, it's a little frustrating. It is. And, and it's, but I, I think it's important because I really feel like, just like we said last week, that, that they would have killed Pelosi. They would have, they would have uh, killed Pence if they got his Absolutely. hands on him. Absolutely. And again, I enjoyed hearing that you could have someone who stood and up and was the adult in the room. Like yes. we needed that thing. Yes. Thank and God. I mean, thank the God. part about thank that, God. that kind of disturbed me was like, I pulled out this Bible verse. I was reading the Bible. I was praying. And then I thought to myself, uh, you know what? If this is what it takes <laughs> to get these motherfuckers to be like, I'm Donald Trump is fucking evil. Pray all you want. Yeah, Go yeah, on then. I'm Go mean. on. I don't know. And the fact that he didn't leave the building is pretty fucking amazing. I mean, listen, yeah, yeah, Donald no, no, Trump is, is a fucking coward. Donald oh, Trump is yeah. a coward. Let's He's not like forget that. He's like across the way, like, with his popcorn, that the Michael Jackson yeah. meme, yeah. watching it all happen yeah. and being happy about oh it. Oh my God, it's a fucking nightmare. And that money, that $250 <gasps> million. Dollars. Can he go to jail on that, please? Yeah, that's incredible. Please, he's paying speakers. Like, this is insane. Yeah. Like, where are the laws? Like, how is this not like an easy thing to go? This because is what you, you know can what? spend money on. This is how you, know you can what? use it. Yeah, that's probably what, they'll go after that. But believe me when I tell you that $250 million in it's that pack. Spent. It's already well, spent. <laughs> his name's nowhere near it. Like, right. that's the thing that's fucked up is that he's always an arm length away length yeah. away from like getting in trouble he's like, like a mobster yeah that's what my mother said oh my god that's a john eastman the john eastman yeah. is pushing 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 for this on behalf of the president right oh god and then he <laughs> my favorite thing is the email where he goes uh thirdly i'm I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to take that pardon now, basically. Yes, if that's yes. still in the works. Yes, that's like, so funny. Uh, no. P.S. Can I get a pardon? P.S. Yeah. Can I get a pardon? P.S. Yeah. P.S. P.P.S. And oh by the way, ask, says he wants to pardon. Oh. Trump doesn't pardon him, oh. which is just the tr most Trump thing you've ever heard. Yes. He's got his hand so far up this guy's ass, pressuring yes. him to get and Mike Pence like, to do something. You know, Mike you. Pence can't do yeah. anything. And this Eastman doesn't stop the whole time. Even yeah. the day after calls somebody and yeah. like, can we look at these Georgia elections? And that guy was the best too, that guy, oh that lawyer. And he was like, the only two words I want to fucking hear from you are orderly transition. <laughs> That's it. And I'm going to give you the best legal advice you've ever heard. Yeah. John, hire a, the best criminal defense yeah, attorney you're because done. you're in trouble. You're done. Like, th and there's then a little no parted for you. Yeah. Like, how does it feel? How does it feel to be that guy? Oh my to God. To know that you've uh, essentially risked everything, yeah. your reputation, your career, a potential jail time, who knows? For what? Yeah, for who? For, for someone for who doesn't give jack shit about yeah. you. It's never enough either. It's never enough. He'll throw Not you under person. the bus. And because everybody was telling him, Mr. President, this is something that Mike Pence can't do. This is something that's never been done before. This is a, We don't want to set precedent that the vice president can do this. Would you want Kamala Harris to do this in four years? Right. And they're like, no, no, we don't. But we should do it now. What? It's so stupid. But if one person, if everybody was united in telling him that, but right. that's not the case. You had a fucking drunk ass Rudy Giuliani. Oh my God. That's you had John my Eastman favorite. going, yeah, we that's can make this happen. That's my favorite, favorite thing is that a drunk ass Giuliani stumbled into yeah. the room. It was like, hey, you know what? Yeah. And Trump's like, oh my God, that's it. Like, yes. It's like even oh, the person the running idiocy, his campaign seemed like a, a somewhat normal human being and went from like team normal to team crazy yeah. that's what they hashed like they named each other yeah and he picked team crazy 
He's cr- yeah. Because they were telling him what he wanted to hear. He's a fucking moron. Oh my god. Um, like a drunk Giuliani so boo-hoo. I, I just pulled up uh, episode forty four. I covered Mike Pence. Go listen to episode oh, yeah. forty four and Mother. you'll see. I mean, oh my god, <laughs> a fucking lunatic. So the last thing I want to say before we start, because we should start. We got this yes, thing to go to. Yes. I wanted to say, um, I'm going to send like so much love and um, happiness to. Um, Charlie Crist, because he announced his engagement this week. <laughs> He's engaged, everybody. <gasps> Charlie, so sweet. It's funny because I looked it up. The last time he got engaged was July before his primary running for governor. Uh, Isn't that funny? Wow. How, oh, oh I'm sorry. I, I'm the sorry. I, I meant to say he's engaged Maybe. to a woman. So. That's uh, interesting. Maybe he's a summer love kind of guy. Um, like I said the on Twitter, summer of love. you can set your clock, your watch to the habit when this guy gets engaged. <sighs> summer of love. And I got to tell you, I don't know how much, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on here, but it's fucking infuriating. And I talked to our EP last night sitting right at this table. <laughs> and I said, as a straight ally to the community, should I be offended by this? And he well, said, but, well, you can be uh, offended and angry. There's nothing that you can do about right. it. And I was like, here's what, but, here's what bothers me. Let me just get this rant out okay, just for a second. Okay. Here's what I want to say is I've been covering, I'm going to cover another story today, LGBTQ story. I'll cover another one next week for the last Wednesday of the month in June. But I'm trying to highlight not only like the awful politicians who've devastated this community by their lack of action or they're not supporting right. and not right, but also the courage of people and the courage of those kids who went to the Capitol this year in right. Tallahassee to fight against the Don't Say Gay Bill because they love their peers who are LGBTQ or their parents or their teachers, and they found it fucking highly offensive that they left, they walked out of school and got, a lot of them went to Tallahassee for wouldn't, days wouldn't and chanted seen. in yeah. that fucking rotunda, like everywhere that they were fucking there, meeting with people, trying to make, get these people to change their minds. The courage that that takes, yeah, the bravery that that these takes. These are kids. That's right, they're children. And then we got somebody who's going to walk in pride today, who's hiding. But I find it offensive. Okay, listen, I don't have to, listen, I'm not straight out saying anything. All I'm saying is, is there's court documents. Like, I don't need to say anything. <laughs> it's on the record. There's, de- there's depositions. Like, this is a thing. Okay? And so that's what offends me. Everybody has their own journey. Right. Like, I get it. Yeah. Everybody has their own journey. Except you, you are... You're, you don't have the courage and conviction to live a, an authentic life. That's sad to me. When I read this right. engagement, I thought how sad and pathetic this is. <laughs> how sad and pathetic for this woman who has six children. Oh. And she lives in like Wyoming. So she's going to be moving to Florida and she can't... There was a quote. I, I'm Wait not quoting Wait, it directly. Yeah, honey, it's a whole fucking thing. It's a great story. The, all the, all the headlines were like, Charlie is engaged. And it said dot, dot, dot again. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I got the wink on that. Yeah, like everybody. The, the like, Wyoming six kids. They, like, the way they met is just some weird, like he was online. working on a drug store, like a drug uh, bill for Congress. Oh, and I can't. I don't know what it is. But she, all her kids, it's the second that she got a divorce because she was married when they met. The second day she went got a divorce, then they started seeing each other and he left his apartment to rent a house so she could bring the kids kids down and visit and she's like i can't wait to work for the people of florida i'm like oh. honey you just got here <laughs> so oh i God. just that's why i find it offensive everyone needs to do their own thing except you walk in this parade that was started stonewall was a, a riot was a riot for people yeah. to fight for their for rights people who were brave. and you're continuing to fucking hide and it people have died for these kinds of things right. and that's what offends me and again no, no, no tea, no shade. He's probably, 
I mean, he's of an older probably generation. Probably going to be our, our nominee. So I'm, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to like be uh, cool, but I'm not that fucking cool. I'm not that cool. I'm going to wait and see. All right. Well, um, listen, uh, you know, I'm not My hope there. fluctuates. <laughs> God, am I first? You are first. Oh, wait, I wanted to say one thing. Yeah. Um, a, uh, new friend of mine oh. and I, I won't reveal details because you know, I don't know how people uh, feel you're not, about when you you're have talking. new friends. How does yeah. this happen in our forties that we I make know. new friends? But this person, um, Found out that I had a podcast. <gasps> and no, no. Oh, good? And was like, oh my God, I've been dying to start. She's younger, just a, such a lovely, always happy person. And she was like, I've been dying to start a podcast. And I was like, just do it, just do it, just do it. Nice. And she said that she was going to, you know, listen to some shows. So I hope that she's listening. And I hope that nice. I, I, I just want her to do it. And I want her to you know, feel confident. I'm like, just do yeah. it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like maybe you have one person listening. Maybe there's 20 people, but if it's what you want to do, just try it. Yeah. Cause I love podcasting. Me too. It's an oh. amazing. Oh, God, I had another thing I wanted to say. Okay. okay. <laughs> Last thing is a podcast recommendation. It's been out for a while. It's from the Boston Globe. It's called Love Letters and it's the relationship advice columnist, Meredith oh. Goldstein. And it is, I started it from episode one. I think there's six seasons. I am so fucking in this podcast. I'm listening to it all the time Aww. and it's just so good. And this, this season I'm on season three and it's just following this guy's story, but also like other people, like when do you know when to introduce your kids to a boyfriend? When do you know oh. it's like the right time to have sex with somebody? When, when do you meet somebody? How do you know you're in love? And it's just like, Oh, oh God. I love all And the this. stories are incredible. Like Aww. it's just so good. Oh my God. I love it. I watched a lovey dovey and I was at my parents. And so, you know, Rye is on all the time. <laughs> and um, there was a guy, it was an American who had moved to Italy. And so when they're speaking Italian on the Italian channel, because it's like the real, real Italian versus mm -hmm. the dialect, it's like super fast. And it, it's like, I can get the gist of it, but like, yeah. it needs to slow down a little for me. But this was an American speaking Italian. So his pace, I'm like, oh, like, I can hear. And he was, it was this lucky how he had found love after like his wife had died. Yeah. So the show is all about people who are older, who like find love again. Yeah. And so they're both talking the lady was from Ireland, but he was an American. And I was uh. like, Oh, I can understand. Oh, and this, and I was so into it. And so, um, I decided to <laughs> this summer, I'm going to really like dive back into really like learning my Italian much better. Yeah. And because I was like, I understood this whole segment. There's and apps, I was so, you know, you can use that are yes, really nice. Yeah, I have a couple. and But I'm going to, I need to do, I have books. I need to do like more reading. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that made me happy. But it connected with the love. All right, we got to go. Yeah, we got to. We, we got stuff to do. do it. All right, today <gasps> I am covering AIDS activist Larry Kramer. Oh. I I got to tell you, I fucking love Larry Kramer. Yes. I remember Larry Kramer yes, during that me time. Too. He's incredible. And, you know, people didn't like him because he was very brash. And like, I'm going to play you a little clip from <gasps> a, his like this last minute of a speech that he gave in 91 that I thought was just fucking. He would just get to the microphone and start screaming, you know, like Good. And, and people oh. don't like that. It's your kindred spirit. <laughs> <laughs> he totally is. But like, he just he's trying to like save lives and shout the truth. And yes. nobody was really fucking listening. Oh. And so. I remember, anyway. I remember, I remember him. Yeah. He's a writer, <gasps> yeah. right? Oh my God. Okay. 
Um, also, I wanted to say, I, I have it somewhere in here, but I think it was our episode five where I covered the AIDS crisis yes. and the government's reaction. This really ties into that too. So if, if you want to know more about that yes, and the government's inaction. And, yeah. So go listen to that story because it's really good. But he was part, he was involved in all of that, right? Okay. Lawrence David Kramer was born June 25th, 1935 in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and he was the younger of two children. His brother, Arthur, was seven years older than him. Kramer was considered an unwanted child by his parents who struggled to find work during the Great Depression, right? So the mom gets pregnant. They're, you know, they have money. Yeah. yeah. When the family moved to Maryland, they found themselves in a much lower socioeconomic bracket than that of Kramer's high school peers. He had become sexually involved with a male friend in junior high school. Oh, um, his father wanted him to marry a woman with money and pressured him to become a member of Pi Tau Pi, a Jewish fraternity. Uh, Kramer's father, older brother, Arthur, and two uncles were alumni of Yale University. So Kramer enrolled at Yale College in 1953, where he had difficulty adjusting. He felt lonely and earned lower grades than those to which he was accustomed. He attempted suicide by an overdose of aspirin because he felt like, quote, he was the only gay student on campus, Aww. end quote. The experience left him determined to explore his sexuality and set him on the path to fight for gay people's worth. Good the next for semester, him. yeah, the next semester, he an affair with his German professor. Ooh, Ooh his first requited romantic relationship <gasps> with a man. Oh, sweet, very sweet. I love that. I know. Kramer enjoyed the Varsity Glee Club during his remaining time at Yale, and he graduated in 1957 with a degree in English. He served in the U.S. Army Reserve before beginning his film writing and production career. Okay, so a little bit about his work. Um, he wrote plays and movies. According to Kramer, every drama he wrote derived from a desire to understand love's nature and its obstacles. Kramer became involved with movie production at age 23 by taking a job as a teletype operator at Columbia Pictures, wow. agreeing to the position only because the machine was across the hall from the president's office, right? Ooh, so he could like- look at yeah. this. Like, hey, here I am, <laughs> yeah, here I am. Yeah, give hey, him I have this screenplay. Yeah. Smart, right? <laughs> yes. Smart. Eventually, he won a position in the story department reworking scripts. His first writing credit was a dialogue- uh, as a dialogue writer for Here We Go Around the Mulberry Bush, a teen sex uh, comedy. I always <laughs> wanted, so so like my other like job that I always wanted to mm. do was to be like, you know, in the writer's room, mm. writing dialogue, like just like with a bunch of people and putting something together. I always wanted to do that. That sounds fun. Yeah. I mean, for you, I mean, I would love it to sit there and listen to you guys exchange ideas. I would just shout things and be like, how about write something like this? <laughs> I have no talent. Oh my God, not true. <laughs> he followed that with the 1969 Oscar-nominated screenplay Women in Love, an adaptation of D.H. Lawrence's novel, which was nominated for an Academy Award. So he's like... Yeah, he's making... Yeah, he's, he's doing, doing it. it. He's doing yeah. He's being successful at writing. Uh, he next penned what Kramer later referred to as the only thing I'm truly ashamed of, the 1973 musical remake of Frank Capra's Lost Horizon. Um, later, Kramer said that his well-negotiated fee for his work, skillfully invested by his brother, made him financially self-sufficient during the 1980s and Ooh. 90s. So his brother was a lawyer, like a uh, high-profile lawyer. And, see, um, you always need a lawyer. Yeah, would help him like invest the money. Yeah. So he's successful. He's, you know, doing well. Kramer then began to integrate the homosexual themes into his work and tried writing for the stage. He wrote Sissy's Scrapbook in 1973, a dramatic play about four friends, one of whom was gay and their dysfunctional relationships. He called it a play about cowardice and the inability of some men to grow up, leave the emotional bondage of male collegi collegiate camaraderie and assume adult responsibilities, Ooh. end quote. That's pretty good. I like that. I know. The play was first produced in a theater set up in an old YMCA gymnasium on 53rd and 8th Avenue called The Playwright's Horizon. 
Okay, so although the play was given a somewhat favorable, favorable review in the New York Times, it was closed by the producer and Kramer was so distraught that he decided never to write for the stage again, later stating, Aww. quote, you must be a masochist to work in the theater <laughs> and a sadist to succeed on the stages. <laughs> That's a good quote. Um, okay, Frank Rich in the foreword to a Grove Press collection of Kramer's lesser known works uh, wrote that, quote, the dreamlike quality of the writing is haunting in Dark Age, which is a, another... Um, movie that he wrote and that it's themes such as the exploration of the difference between sex and passion mm. um, are staples of his entire output that would pretend portend his future work, including the 1978 novel faggots. Ooh. I know that we don't like this word, but that's right. the name of the book. So I'm going right. to say the name of the book. So I want to talk about this book a little bit because it kind of gets him, it gets him known as this reputation that then when he goes to work in AIDS activists, people are like, oh, not this fucking guy, right? <laughs> so in 1978, Kramer delivered the final of four drafts of a novel that he wrote about the fast lifestyle of the gay men on Fire Island and in Manhattan. In Faggots, the primary character was modeled on himself, a man who is unable to find love while encountering the drugs and emotionless sex in the trendy bars and discos. Mm. He stated his inspiration for the novel was, quote, I wanted to be in love. Almost everybody I knew felt the same way. I think most people at some level wanted what I was looking for, whether they poo-pooed it or said that they ca that we can't live like straight people or whatever excuses they gave. Right. And, and, and I mean, think about that, you know, like that if you don't feel like you can exist openly in right. a loving relationship, then maybe you are partaking in these sort of one you know these quick romances right right because maybe that's what you think you can only do right because right. there's no there's visibility no, yeah there's this no is why this, that's important seeing couples uh, married or couples yes, being able to live together yes, in, a, in peace be, yes you know and he had he'd never witnessed that this is right, all that he, right. he knew but he longed for love which Aww, god damn it i'm such a sucker do. for it i know i'm such a sucker for it um Kramer researched the book, talking to many men and various uh, and visiting various establishments. As he interviewed people, he heard a common question, quote, are you writing a negative book? Are you going to make it positive? Uh, I began to think, my God, people must really be conflicted about the lives they're leading. And that was true. I think people were guilty about all the promiscuity and all the partying, end quote. The novel caused an, caused an uproar in the community it portrayed. It was taken off the shelves of the Oscar Wilde Memorial Bookstore at the time, New York City's only gay bookstore, and Kramer was banned from the grocery store near, <gasps> his, near his home on Fire Island. Oh, no. Reviewers found it difficult to believe that Kramer's accounts of gay relationships were accurate. Both the gay and mainstream press panned the book. Oh, no. On the reception of the novel, Kramer said, quote, the straight world thought I was repulsive and the gay world treated me like a traitor. People would literally oh. turn their back when I walked by. You know what I'm, you know what my real crime was? I put the truth in writing. Ooh. That's what I do. I have told the fucking truth to everyone I have ever met, end quote. Ooh. So it ends up being one of the best-selling gay novels of all time. Like wow. it ends up being right because because years later it's like here's a real like snapshot of, of that what time. of what was going on. Right. Yeah, and what these relationships I, were I like. I mean, that got me goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Although I mean, the novel how hard he's just trying to express I know. what he's feeling, what he's seeing. Yeah. And sometimes it's or, hard to see. And also, it's I think it reflected back. Yeah, and it's it probably if you feel you don't want people thinking that you're happy. And right. you're like, this is what we have. And now somebody in the community is like, this is not a, this is not how, you know, we want love. Right. We want more. And they're like, why can't we just, just let us be right. Which is what ends Which, up happening during the AIDS crisis. He's like, y'all stop. And they're like, leave us the fuck alone. And he was trying so desperately right. to get them to stop fucking. So that maybe we could slow this fucking until we figure out what the hell is going on. Right. And they would, nobody would listen. So, 
Um, although the novel was rejected by the people with whom Kramer expected praise, the book was has never been out of publication and is often taught in gay studies classes. Um, Andrew Sullivan wrote, faggots struck a chord. It excuted, exuded a sense that gay men could do better if they understood themselves as fully human, oh. if they could shed their self-loathing and self-deception, end quote. It's fucking amazing. God. It's amazing. Yeah. Or even just to like out loud say that we deserve more than this. Right. Like, and not that if you don't want that, that's yeah. fine. And the majority I mean? of like, people who read it and were in that community were like, no, 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 this is, this is what we have. Don't, right. Don't right. even it's, tease us with the, with the idea that that love and an out relationship is possible because it right. just, it's, and it's hard to fathom, but in the seventies and eighties, like there, nobody There's was fear. coming out. There's like fear. There, that yeah. was, and it wasn't that long ago. I mean, ago. fear of your losing your job, fear everything. of losing your family, everything. fear of losing yeah. where you live. I mean, everything. And that's why with uh, uh, these bills and the Supreme Court and all this stuff is important because, you know, we worry about Roe v. Wade, but the, also that right to privacy right. is in there and that puts so many different people at risk. Yeah. You know? And I also yeah. want to remind people too that um, the reason why everybody's excited about pride, the reason why people are, uh, the LGBTQ is visible is because during the time that we're about to talk about, everybody started coming out of the closet because their friends were dying. Yeah. And so they all were forced out of the closet to fight, to, to exist, to live, to survive. And to bring awareness. This death, like yes. the death that was happening. That these are people you know and right. love and work with. They put everything yes. on the fucking line. Just like to everyone get else. the yeah. government to pay attention that thousands of people were dying oh at record numbers and they were all in the gay community. So, so, and I think it's hard for people to understand that, that right. nobody knew anybody was gay at that time. Like, in 96, graduating high school, there was people that were gay that I did not know were gay. Right. Who come out later, right? right. People never came out in school. No. Oh, God. Thank or God they we're did, in a different time. it was very, you know, they really trusted you. And, right. You know. Right. Okay. So the AIDS crisis. So while living on Fire Island in the 70s, Kramer had no intention of getting involved in political activism. And there were pol political or politically active groups in New York City. But Kramer noted the culture on Fire Island was so different that they would ma often make fun of political activists. He said, quote, it was not chic. It was not something you could go brag about with your friends. Guys marching down Fifth Avenue was a whole other world. The whole gestalt of Fire Island was about beauty and looks and golden men, end quote. Which he's rich, you know, he's right. young. He's got all these friends that are rich and beautiful and right. young and they're hanging out on Fire Island. Why the fuck would they care? Right. But like Stonewall had happened, you know, like there are people, activists happening in the street, things were fighting for gay rights and he was over here like living his best life. Right. And he's like, who fucking cares? Mm. Right. So however, when friends he knew from Fire Island began getting sick in uh. 1980, Kramer uh, became involved in gay activism. So like I said, go listen to episode five and you can hear about the AIDS crisis. So in 1981, although he had not been involved personally or previously with gay activism, Kramer invited the A-list uh, group of gay men from the New York City area to his apartment to listen to a doctor say their friends' illnesses were related and research needed to be done because every all these men were dying. Right. And, and, and they're finding like, that there's a commonality. Yeah, like, why is this only in this group? This right. is so bizarre, blah, blah, yeah. blah. The next year, they named themselves the Gay Men's Health Crisis um, and became the primary organization to raise funds and provide services to people stricken with acquired immune deficiency syndrome, also known as AIDS, in the New York area. Although Kramer served on its first board of directors, his view of how it should be run sharply conflicted with that of the rest of its members. While GMHC began to concentrate on social services for men who were dying, Kramer loudly insisted they fight for funding from New York City. 
Mayor Ed Koch became a particular target for Kramer, as did the behavior of gay men before the nature of how the human immune deficiency virus, HIV, was transmitted, uh, was understood. So Ed Koch is closeted. You know, he's a gay man who's also trying to pretend like he's not gay. And he ran in these circles. And then this crisis pops up in New York and they're like, yo, help. You're at that party with that guy last week. Like he just died. Like, you know, these people around were about around Ed Koch were also dying. Oh, my God. But he didn't. Of course, he was a Republican. He wasn't going to fucking he's not going to come out. He's hiding, too. And people died because of it, because of the lack of understanding (sighs) and funding and his hiding people died when doctors suggested men stop having sex kramer strongly encouraged gmhc to deliver the message to as many gay men as possible when they refused kramer wrote an essay entitled 1112 and counting which appeared in 1983 in the new york uh, new york native a gay newspaper wow the essay discussed the spread of the disease the lack of government response and the apathy of the gay community the essay was intended to frighten gay men and provoke them to protest government indifference. Michael Spector wrote in The New Yorker, quote, it was a 5,000 word screed that accused nearly everyone connected with healthcare in America. Officials, officials at the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, researchers at the National Institutes of Health in Washington, D.C., doctors at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in Manhattan, and local politicians particularly Mayor Ed Koch, of refusing to acknowledge the implications of the nascent AIDS epidemic. The article's harshest condemnation was directed at those gay men who seemed to think that if they ignored this new disease, it would simply go away, end quote. So he's hitting them on the head. You know, right. you I can mean, get more yes. with honey than, than vinegar, right? But he's but, basically just punching them in the head over right. and over again, like, being hey, like, stop this. He's sounding the alarm. Yeah. Tony Kushner, who wrote, we talked about Angels in America. He wrote the 1993 Pulitzer Prize drama for his play, Angels in America, about the impact of AIDS in the United States, described this essay as, quote, with that one piece, Larry changed my world. He changed the world for all of us, end quote. Wow. Kramer's confrontational style proved to be an advantage as it earned the issue of AIDS, the attention of the New York media that no other individual could get. He founded yeah, so he's, a yeah he's you know, he's, he's screaming yeah he's yeah. he's panicked right and uh you know you can hear it in his voice you can hear it see it in wow. his face he's like out of his mind fucking pain. he lost wow. his partner during all of it he had a oh. nurse's poor partner and through watching him die oh my and God. it would hit fast and it would be over within like two weeks though someone would be like bones and dead like it was oh and, and like everything sunken in like it was hitting them hard oh my God. hard my God. He found it a disadvantage when he realized his own reputation was, quote, completely that of a crazy man, end quote. Kramer was particularly frustrated by bureaucratic stalling that snowballed in cases where gay men closeted, uh, but where gay but closeted men were the ones in charge of agencies that seemed to ignore AIDS. People working for Ronald Reagan at the time, there was high officials that were gay and they all knew it and they all knew them and they did fucking nothing to stop this. He confronted the director. Yeah. He confronted, confronted the director of National Institutes of Health Agency about not devoting more time and effort toward researching AIDS because he was closeted. He threw a drink in the face of Republican fundraiser Terry Dolan during a party and screamed at him for having affairs with men, but using the fear of homosexuality to raise money for conservative causes. He called, no, he caused, he called closeted mayor of New York, Ed Koch and the media and government agencies in New York city, quote, equal to murderers End quote. Yes. Even Kramer's personal life was affected when he and his lover also a gmhc board member split over kramer's condemnations of the political apathy of gmhc because they would go well let's not yell at this guy because maybe he can help us and he's like no i'm yelling at everybody yeah done 
Kramer's wow. past also compromised his message as many men who had been turned off by the book Faggots saw Kramer's warnings as alarmist, displaying negative attitudes towards sex. Okay, so I can see though they're like, okay, first he's sort of condemning our lifestyle. Yeah. Now he's coming yeah. after us. Like we're the bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see yeah, coming that from him, perspective, they especially yeah. if there's not a lot of information mm-hmm. about this disease. If no one is really, you know, with the pandemic, you hear from the CDC, you're like, we're hearing, you know, but if this was happening and there's no real information coming out in the health department, you know, I, yeah, I absolutely. can imagine that they're like, nah, this isn't that big a deal. Like, yeah. And we're not as connected as we are now. So yeah. like the news of it may not have been. Right. They would have these big as, town halls yeah, to try know? to figure it out. But yeah. at the t- like at the beginning, nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. Oh God, it's so fucking <sighs> scary. Playwright Robert Chasley uh, responded to Kramer's New York Native article saying, quote, read anything by Kramer closely. And I think you'll find the subtext is always the wages of gay sin are death, end quote. Wow. I mean, wake the fuck up, bro. Wake up. Wow. Um, so he was ousted from the from the GMHC in oh, 1983. No. <laughs> he was um, a little, he was they a little said, too rebellious. Yeah, they said his then. method of communication was deemed too militant for the group. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Ooh. So in 1987, he is the catalyst in the fi- founding of the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, also called ACT UP, a direct action protest organization that chose government agencies and corporations as targets pu- to publicize lack of treatment and funding for people with AIDS. ACT UP was formed at the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Community Services Center in New York City, and he was asked to speak as part of a rotating speaker series. And was his well-attended speech focused on um, the fight to AIDS? And I am going to um, play you a minute of that, video, the last minute of this like four and a half minute uh, speech that he gives. And it's, I mean, he's screaming throughout it, so you should definitely go see it or go watch it on YouTube. It my it's in the the notes, but I just found it like it, it's just so fucking moving, oh. you know. And I say to you, in year 10, as we face a figure of 40 million infected people, the same thing I said to you in 1981 when there were 41 cases. Oh, my God. Until we get our acts together, all of us, and until we learn to plug in with each other, and fight and make this president listen. We are as good as dead. Wow. Yeah. So wow. At this speech, at that where that speech, it's a, that speech was in 1991. So it's 10 years into this, and like he said, there's 40 million people affected worldwide oh that are in, infected. He was on the stage with like I mean, doctors and government people and they had gone and spoken before him. And in the speech, if you listen to the whole four and a half minutes, he says, what they're saying isn't going to work. <laughs> There's no yeah. experience. They, they have experimental drugs. We've used them all. They don't fucking work. Like he's like, nobody's, the whole point was like, nobody's talking to each right. other. There's no information. Like you're right. saying, going out to the gay community. It was confusing time. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on. And he, it's like sounding the alarm. And now we're 10 years in and 40 million people. And the I speech mean, is called it, the plague. It is. God, what a tragedy. Yeah. And what, the speech is called uh, um, The Plague. Extraordinary tragedy. Because he screams in the beginning, like, we're in the middle of a fucking plague. 40 million people is a fucking Jesus plague. Jesus Christ. You know? And the government ignored it because it was primarily target, you know, um, affecting right. gay the gay community. And which they didn't give a shit and about. And they don't want to acknowledge that those people exist. Oh, my God. And here we are again, where they <laughs> don't fucking exist. Right. Your existence doesn't fucking matter. How fucking dare you? You know, 
What is this? I don't know. Don't we live in a country where we fucking do that, where we, we accept people for who they are? I don't know what this country what is the, anymore. Where are Honestly, we? It's confusing. Honestly, I mean, I mean, just the fact that, that, that at the, the pride parade in Idaho, that right. those men. Yeah. Did you see all that them? Those men came from, and, yeah. and that's how they're going to get them. Well, as they came from out of state, right. because if you do it in state, there was no like law against it. But when you travel across state lines, yeah, coming from Texas and Oklahoma and Washington state and uh, Oregon and everywhere else where you show up, these terrorists show up to incite violence. Yeah. Like that was their sole purpose. And I believe that organization was started by like a 17 year old kid after Charlottesville. Oh who's now God. like in his twenties, he's like the hub and he's like, and, and like, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like, you know, any organization there's chapters and PS. leaders and there's these conversations and that they sat and decided yeah. that this is what we're going to do. We're going to go spend our time. We're going to dress and we're going to have weapons. What were they? They're, they're going to kill people. You better, you better You're hope kill that there's nobody at this fucking pride parade today. If I hear, if I see one fucking anti pride, like protester who says groomer, I'm going to see red. Okay. Well, I'm going to fucking lose I, my mind. I was talking about this and, um, with my husband, like oh, I always say, who is, we're desperately trying to get <laughs> yes. him on the podcast. He's the number one hot <laughs> guest and he's, Tina's not making this happen. I know. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so we were, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we were try, uh, we were talking about this and, uh, you know, in a place like Broward where there is a lot of visibility, mm-hmm. they, they probably won't show up, right? They're showing up in places where people might be, Yeah, where it's going to be a smaller event, right? Where the bunch of them showing up at a tiny event, it makes a big deal, but it's showing up at an event like Pride where it's so many people, you know? Yeah, maybe, I hope, um, because I'm, I'm a, I, 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 no, 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 yeah. no. It's because just, people bring their children there. That's what I was that saying. Come I, I said, out this for is the a first family time. event. It's yeah. a family event. It's a fucking event. parade. It's, it's a, a parade. parade. You don't have to be there at night when oh people walk God. around their G-strings looking all fucking hot and oh, shit. Oh, but hey, why not? That oh. was never how much fun we had Oh my God, these bodies. Dancing. Oh my God, it's so much fun. So much fun. Well, but, T- but Tina's not going to be there. I know. Ah, Tina. I, I know. I have a date. I'm going to be on a date with my husband. Oh, it's so hot. Get it, girl. Ooh, <laughs> birthday weekend. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday to that motherfucker. How's he doing? He's doing good. Yes. He, got, happy a, he, got, summer he break. got a new guitar for oh his birthday. Oh, my God. How many so, guitars is this now? Oh, how many guitars? This we is have my like old six, like yeah, six this guitars, is my seven guitar guitars. I don't even know. Yeah. Oh my God. Drums. Oh, and then a new drum. Like one of those, like you said, uh, it's like the square, wooden square. Oh, please. It's a music. The only way I'm dealing with that is if I'm floating, honey. Music mayhem. And then we have now my, my <laughs> oldest. Mayhem. My oldest was on the bass guitar the other day. So. I love it. Yeah. I'm like, I love this musical family. (laughs) All right. So at that speech, he began by having two thirds of the room stand up and told them that they would be dead in five years. Ooh, (laughs) Jesus Christ. What a speech. Yeah. And people were pushing back. And that's when the last four and a half minutes he starts screaming because he's like, you're, you're still not going to listen. You have everybody around you're here because you're concerned that you're sick or you're going to get sick and you're not still going to fucking push back motherfuckers. Like what the fuck? I remember, I think I may have told this during your episode five. I can't remember, but during, um, like a college class that I took, I don't know if it was a sociology class, I don't remember. Um, but the the professor handed us each like a little slip of paper. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, I forget how the game went, 
but somebody started it with like a star on it. And then it was like, um, whoever was to like your, either to your left, your right, or or who you talk to, whatever it was. And then they had to stand up and then they had to stand up. And it was like, well, this is the person who was HIV positive. Oh, so they saw how it And it spread. showed like how quickly, like here's the one person, but like so many people. Could you can imagine be that people didn't understand? Because they didn't understand like how it works. It's insane. Yeah. Um, okay. So he reiterated the points included in his essay. He said, quote, 1,112 and counting. Um, it quote, if my speech tonight doesn't scare the shit out of you, we're in real trouble. Mm. If what you're hearing doesn't rouse you to anger, fury, rage, and action, gay men will have no future here on earth. How long does it take before you get angry and fight back? Uh. End quote, which is, we still ask every day. Right. When people aren't involved in politics. The first target uh, for this group was the uh, FDA, which Kramer accused oh. of neglecting badly needed medication for HIV-infected Americans, engaging in civil disobedience that would result in many people being arrested, was a primary objective, as it, as it would focus attention to the target, which was people st- just right. keep it in the headlines. Yeah. On March 24th, 1987, 17 people out of 250 participating were arrested for blocking rush hour traffic in front of the FDA's Wall Street offices. Good. Kramer was arrested dozens of times where working with ACT UP and then organize and the organization grew to hundreds of chapters in the US and Europe. Here's something that I love that they did. Um, and it talks about, we're going to talk about Jesse Helms, my good old buddy, oh, Jesse Helms Jesse from North Helms. Carolina. <laughs> I'm here from the dead. <laughs> I don't want to say that the devil's been fucking me because Tina got very upset about that <laughs> episode or two episodes oh, ago. That was so she funny. was very upset, <laughs> but act up on the sunny morning of September 5th, 1991 in Washington, DC, a suburb of Arlington, <gasps> Virginia, a group of activists arrived at the home of North Carolina Senate. Jesse Helms. Using ladders, several of them climb to the roof of the house, and from there they unfurl a giant piece of fabric, and which is then inflated by their comrades on the front lawn. Soon the senator's home is surrounded by a giant yellow condom. <laughs> yes! <laughs> no! And no, on his, his personal home. The whole house, there's a picture in the notes. The whole thing is covered, and it's got like yes. this thing. It's like a condom, and on it says... Oh, oh, there's text. There's a fucking <gasps> message. There's a message. And it says, a condom to stop unsafe politics. Helms is deadlier than a virus. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. A decidedly unsettled response to Helms' vehement opposition to gay rights and to funding AIDS research and treatment. Wow. Fuck you. Wow. Yeah. Immunia- immunologist Anthony Fauci who, by the way, was working for the government and in charge of no the time. no one ever goes away. <laughs> he said, quote, in America, in American medicine, there are two eras, before Larry and after Larry, end quote. Ooh. They did not like each other. He would, you know, he would yell at Anthony Fauci all the time and end up becoming friends later on and, like, were very close. And, oh. yeah, but, like, he did not let them forget, you know. He really fought to get this medicine and, like, oh, God. So playwright uh, Tony Kushner offered his opinion of of why Kramer fought so relentlessly. He said, quote, in a way, like a lot of Jewish men of Larry's generation, the Holocaust is defining historical moment. Mm. And what happened in the early 1980s with AIDS felt as, in fact, Holocaustal (sighs) to Larry, end quote. Two decades later, Kramer continued to advocate for social and legal equity for homosexuals. Um, He said, quote, our own country's democratic process declares us to be unequal, which means in a democracy that our enemy is you. Oh you treat God. us like crumbs. You hate us. And sadly, we let you, end quote. Ugh. 
In later decades, Kramer also continued to argue for funding research into cures for AIDS, contending that existing treatments disincentivized the pharmaceutical uh, uh, industry from developing cures, right? It's easier, better, it's more profitable for us if you all stay sick. The, the, biggest, the, the, the biggest crime mm-hmm. has been allowing medicine and medical coverage to uh, be something you make a profit from. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think about that with, you know, cancer, with, yes. you know, HIV, yes. with other diseases, like uh, the, the Oxycontin crisis yeah. alone, like that was all about making money. Yep. It's it's disgusting. It's there, disgusting. Sh- there needs to be, that's something that needs to be legislated. Oh, oh, please. I know. <laughs> These fuckers are getting way too much money from them. Um, <sighs> okay, so he ends up writing a play called uh, The Normal Heart, which I was going to go into this whole thing. I, I think I'm r- running a little long in my story, so we'll probably just jump over it. But it ends up being like this amazing play about, I'm sorry, there's like a hair on my face. <laughs> um. <laughs> It, it they ended up making it into a movie on HBO. I don't know if you watched it, but um, I'll uh, have to look for it. Though. It's fucking incredible, and it's all about the AIDS crisis and it's the character based on him and how he loses his lover and and around them what they, was going on the start of the gay men's health crisis, a center, everything. It's just it's an incredible fucking play. It's amazing, and um, I just I, I don't know if you get to watch the movie. It's called uh, A Good Heart. I'm sorry, The Normal Heart. It's really, really good. Okay, I did want to mention this also is that in 1997, Kramer approached Yale University to bequeath several million dollars to them to quote in to endow a permanent tenured profession professorship in <gasps> gay studies and wow. possibly to build a gay and lesbian student center and wow at the time gender ethnic and race related studies were viewed warily by academia the then provost yale provost allison richard stated that gay and lesbian studies were was too narrow a specialty for the pro- a program in perpetuity so Kramer's rejected proposal read, quote, Yale is to use this money solely for one, the study and or instruction in gay male literature, by which I mean courses to study gay, gay male writers throughout the history of the te- or the teaching to gay male students yes. of writing about their heritage and their experience to ensure for the continue continuity of courses in either uh, or both of these areas, tenured positions should be established and or uh, number two, the establishment of a gay student uh, center at I Yale. I love this. Yeah, because how he felt there, yes. right? He felt alone. Yes. In 2001, both sides settled upon establishing the Larry Kramer Initiative for Lesbian and Gay Studies, which would include visiting professors and a program of conferences, guest uh. speakers, and other events. And this is very hot for Tina. This is I, academia. is like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur Kramer, his brother, endowed the program at Yale with $1 million in support wow. of a five-year trial. Kramer agreed to leave his literary papers and those chronicling the AIDS uh, movement and his founding of GMHC and act up to Yale's Benek library and the program ended in 2006. So it did a five year run, right? Here's where I'm going to end. Cause it's kind of funny. He dies in May 27th of 2020 at oh, age wow. 84, just a month of pneumonia. Aww. He did, he was uh, HIV positive, but he was able to live for all of those right. years. Um, and when he died, he was writing a, a play about COVID Wow. Which I think probably was going to tie right. the same reaction to. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But here's some a funny way to end quickly. Um, 
He divided his time between a residence in Manhattan near Washington Square Park in Greenwich Village and Connecticut. And another resident of Kramer's Manhattan residential complex was Kramer's longtime nemesis, Ed Koch, who had been mayor of New York City from 1970 to 1989. So the two saw each other relatively infrequently since they lived in different towers of this building. But when Kramer saw Koch looking at the apartment in 1989, he reportedly told him, quote, don't move in here. (laughs) There are people here who hate you. (laughs) And he's still moved in. Yeah. On another occasion, Koch tried to pet Kramer's terrier dog, Molly, in the building's mail area. And Kramer snatched the dog (laughs) away, telling telling her that Koch was, quote, the man who killed all of daddy's friends. Oh, my God. Like, he doesn't give up. Good. Good for him. And he tells people, he'll remind you. Good for him. You were responsible for this. Imagine this guy's like, I'm just trying to pet your dog. But he's like, fuck you. Fuck you. Wow. Never going to forget, bro. Ooh. Larry Kramer. Go watch his speeches. He's so (gasps) fucking inspirational. I can't wait. Hey, you there. We've got a question for you. Are you tired of clickbait stories and the loudest voices driving discussions in culture and entertainment? If so, I'm Dylan. I'm Kendall. And I'm Corey. And we host the podcast From the Middle. We're middle-class guys living in the middle of America, in the middle chapters of our lives with points of view somewhere in the middle. We take a more reasonable and centrist approach in our discussions covering genres like comedy, culture, entertainment, and interviews with really interesting folks like business owners, comic creators, doctors, news anchors, New York Times best-selling illustrators, professional stand-up comics, and more. We really value a relaxed and conversational podcast, one that we hope is so fun and laid back, you'll forget you're not actually hanging out with us. So search at From the Mid Pod, just like it sounds, or check us out everywhere you can find podcasts. All right, we got to... Okay, I'm is your mine, story... is, mine isn't long. She always says that, and we're all, then we're here no, no, 30, no, no, 40 no, minutes no, no, later. No, no. <laughs> I'm going to try. Okay, yeah. today, okay. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the story of anti-gay activist <gasps> George Wreckers. Oh, my God. This is incredible. This is... What an episode. We didn't plan this. Oh, no, no. We didn't. We didn't. I just... Uh, I mean, this yeah, is yeah, crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. All right. Oh, God. So I did one that's pro, and you're doing against... Right? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, no. Forgive Am me. I going to kill somebody? Yes. Oh. All right. So George Wreckers made a name for himself in uh, political realms, and he was this, you know, psychologist, and mm. he offered, like, a lot of testimony in court cases and things like that. But when he returns from vacation in 2010 with a young man in tow, <gasps> he's got a lot of explaining to do. Oh, my God. All right. So let me just give some background. Okay. George Records was born in 1948. And according to the Sacramento Village Post, he was a Baptist minister. He served on the National Association for Research and Therapy of Sexuality Board. And he was the founder of the Family Research Council. (gasps) Whoa. Holy shit. Are you fucking kidding me? Yes. And he wrote several books on sexuality. Yes. Like when I was reading this, I was like, that's incredible. It's it's incredible. All right. So the reason I chose this guy, so he isn't a politician, um, and, but he's been noted as this anti-gay activist and his work was instrumental in anti-gay like legislation and yeah. in courts the specifically. The influence of it. Um, a Cordy article cited the breaking Miami Times article that kind of exposes what happened to Wreckers. Okay. As quote, uh, yeah. that Wreckers quote, 
has served advisory roles with Congress, the White House, and the Department of Health and Human Services. Jesus. So I felt like it was important to cover Absolutely. because he's got his, he's, his influence is in all of these political areas. No need to explain. This makes perfect fucking sense. So let's talk about some of the groups that Records was involved in. Oh, God. Uh, the National Association for Research and Therapy, also known as NARTH, was a group that believes that folks can choose and should change their sexuality, like that they have the ability to change that, that it's an option, right? God that it's damn it. a choice. And NARTH is one of the key groups that really promoted conversion therapy. Mm. And Glad cited Truth Wins Out statement, which had this to say about NARTH's uh, practices, quote, it is anti-gay hate speech wrapped in medical language in an effort to make it more palatable to mainstream Americans. Wow. Yeah, like it's just really frightening what these groups do and how they sell their 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 product, their program, right. whatever the hell you want to call this that they do. And there's lots of parents who start to notice that maybe their kid is not straight, right? And they panic, and then and they turn to these exist. organizations yeah. and, and it's, then torture not tor- not like physically torture, but torture these kids mentally that they're wrong. They're, it, and it's like it's driven drilled into a them. lifetime of harm. Yeah, a lifetime absolutely. Of harm. So the ACLU wrote a fact sheet on records specifically tied to his testimony in a case called Howard versus Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And this case was um, the Arkansas Supreme Court eventually overturned a state policy that said, quote, no person may serve as a foster parent if any adult member of that person's household is a homosexual. So there's then this court case and then the Supreme Court is like, that's unconstitutional, right? But he is testifying saying that like, this isn't a good thing. And, you know, so he's used again in these court cases that have impact on laws that can, you know, um, impact people's lives in these states. Yeah. So he served as the state's expert witness, according to the ACLU, and they outlined some of his beliefs. So um, one- he relies on discredited research about this idea that you can choose your sexuality. Um, another belief that he held was gays are unsuitable to foster, and this is tied to that case, because they are a higher risk for AIDS. Mm. He, quote, believes kids are better served with a mother and a father, right, rather than two parents of the same sex. Although, although single hetero females are okay, right, but a gay couple are not. Like, it doesn't wow. make sense, yeah. right? Um, he practiced conversion therapy. And this part I thought was really just horrific. He was taking kids out of homes. So if foster parents were gay um, and say that they have been with this family and they're, because, you know, like these kids get attached to the families that they're at. And so if they're in this loving space, like you don't know what their backgrounds are. And now they have this stable home mm-hmm. he was all about like well we need to remove them from those homes because those are same-sex families and put them in another straight family even though he acknowledged that it would be traumatic for the children involved to go through that so he acknowledged that it's traumatic but still felt like that's the thing it's to fucking do crazy it's crazy so a uh, news outlet uh, the week wrote in 2015 that prior to the scandal Records was paid $87,000 to testify against gay adoption in Florida. Oh my God. Wait, what year was that? Um, it was, oh gosh. Because that's when Charlie Chris was uh, running for governor. It was around, I, I don't remember the exact mm. year. I don't remember the exact year. Well, the scandal happened in 2010. Yeah. So it had to be like prior yeah, to that. Sometime. Right before Obama. So, yeah. um, 
Falls Church News Press's Wayne Benson wrote in an article about the incident that though Rutgers wasn't in the spotlight, his fingerprints are on almost every anti-gay effort to demean and dehumanize LGBTQ people. Oh my God. Like his hands are everywhere. Yeah. So to give you a sense of how horrible Rutgers views are, Talroad wrote an article about this incident and cited a 2005 article from Rutger. So Rutger wrote, because um, he wrote books and articles and all of this stuff. Good Lord. And in this article. Obsessed, really. Yeah, obsessed. You know what I mean? So quote, this is not basically different from denying placement in other households with structures that are not in the best interest of children. 15-year-old couples, 90-year-old couples, Thai language only speaking couples, blind and deaf parents, households with a pedophilic behaving adult, oh my God. households with practicing criminals, households with drug dealers and drug abusers, households with unemployed adults, households that advocate the overthrow of the U.S. government, households with an active terrorist, households with sexually promiscuous unmarried men and women cohabitating, and households with homosexually behaving adults all have either inherent instability or inherent disadvantage, stress, and potential harm to placed children. Wow. So he's like... Wow. If everybody's um, not like him. Yes. If everyone is not like him. And um, he's comparing homosexuality to domestic terrorism. It's insane. Wow. He's fucking crazy. It's insane. He needs to get it together. And especially, I always feel like if someone is this obsessed... Honey, it's, it's something else is going on. It's shame. He's shamed insane. or something. So the Family Research Council, which he is a part of, is this evangelical activist oh, group. It's awful. this think tank. It's a lobbying organization. Yeah, huge. So again, this is that. And they're the ones that are like, okay, like we are opposed to pornography. We're opposed to stem cell research. We're opposed to abortion, divorce, LGBTQ rights, and all of that. So he's... The co-founder of that as well. Which I can't. Is, I, I can't get over that. I, mean, I cannot get over that. I mean, and this. And by the way, the Family Research Council is like they're, quoted they're by, by Republicans horrible. and conservatives all the time. All the like, time. They're still that's big fucking money. influential. It's big money. Yeah. So some of the books that he wrote. Who am I, Lord? <laughs> Who am I, Lord? It's and growing up straight. It's what me. Families <laughs> should know about homosexuality. <laughs> oh. God. Wow. All right. So before I go into sort of the scandal, what I find to be really the major incident and the most horrific thing that this man was involved in was called the Feminine Boy Project. So uh, Rutgers is not only a writer, but he was like a sitting professor. Like, I mean, he had, again, uh, he was a researcher, right? And this project was basically child abuse. It allowed Rutgers and his staff to conduct psychological experiments on boys whose parents, like you were saying earlier, oh, were worried a, about something. that they would turn out to be, quote, sissies. This is also known as like the sissy boy project. CNN reported on this, and they specifically focused on one particular boy that Rutgers worked with who he called Craig in his file. So according to a report on the study, this is posted to CNN, and I have it in our notes, Rutgers tried to cure a five-year-old boy of his feminine behavior through, quote, an increasingly aggressive regime of psychological and physical rewards and punishment, first in a lab and then in the boy's home. And then he declared, right, that the treatment worked, we did it, and that the boy, quote, had a normal male sexual identity. So the boy was um, 
this person named Kirk Murphy. And he served in the Air Force for eight years. Then he worked in finance. He had this great job in India. Oh, boy. But at just 38 years old, Murphy committed suicide huh. in 2003. What a surprise. You know? My God. I, I, I mean, I wonder why. When you're a five-year-old, God knows what these experiments were. Well, I'm going to. Oh, God, Tina. Fuck. So you want me to fucking scream. That's what's <laughs> happening this morning. I don't want you to scream, but. All right. So the thing is that I, I, I found sort of interesting about this. He's 38 years old in 2003. So he was like, you know, from the 70s. Yeah. Kid. And at the time, you know, because there is this stigma against being gay and there's no visibility and all of that, like it's understandable that maybe parents would have a fear or, you know, and again, I, I feel like I do rag on religion a lot, but a lot of times like there's this religious influence that are making people feel like you're sinners and you're bad and all of this stuff. So Murphy's mom is quoted in the article about why she did this. And she explained that when Murphy was five, she thought he was acting effeminate, right? That he was playing with dolls and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And she saw an ad that was for recruiting boys oh, for no. a government-funded program. What? For a government-funded program at UCLA. Oh, boy. So oh, she no. signed him up. CNN further reported that Rutgers' work with Murphy is what made him this leading anti-gay expert who was called on to help prevent kids from turning gay. It's, it makes me sick. God. And it made me sick reading about it. And you can read the whole article and I'm kind of give some highlights. But for example, they would put out in the lab toys that they deemed masculine toys. Oh, fuck. And toys that they deemed feminine toys. You know, like guns versus like Barbies. dolls and whatever. Right. And the mother would be in this lab environment with this, in this room. And she was told to ignore him if he played with oh, feminine toys. Oh my God. And to compliment him if he used masculine toys. Now this is a five-year-old child, right? And, and psychologically there's different stages, just like an in infancy where you connect with your child. Course, yes, and it's yes. like, and, and, and psychologically, I remember learning this in child psych where like, there's like these different stages where you have to connect or, or like it's very damaging to children and it happens in infancy. It happens again, like when, and during toddler time. And then again, at like five yeah. years old, like there's all of these times where they need to have that sense of security yes. and safety and bonding, bonding and all of that. Yeah. Right. This which, is a five-year-old. But you know, what you're describing is what parents do, right? right. The baby starts to cry and like, oh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Or you're talking to the baby, just the baby laying there. Like right. seriously, six or seven months old and you looking at the baby and going like, doing I mean, this whole thing please. is what that means. It's and not, even, it's not even like when it's, they're, my son is 11 yeah. and his finger got slammed in the door the other day, mm. like to the point where like ne- yesterday it was, pus was oozing out of it mm-hmm. and that like the whole nail bed's purple and like we have to get off. under there to like oh. clean it. And, what? Come and on. so, that. <laughs> so my husband's there doing that, but I'm with him going, it's okay. Yes. Like, you know, like you got this, like, like, like children need that, yeah. re- like you can do it. They need that reassurance. They need to feel safe that it's going to be okay. So this, this would work. My five-year-old son would be out of his mind if I was ignoring him. Oh my like, God. That would be, of course. he would be so fucked. So the same thing happened back home, except it turned physical. In the lab, she would ignore him to the point where he was throwing tantrums and she wasn't allowed to comfort him 
or acknowledge How would she him. Participate I in don't this? know. I Get don't the fuck know. out of here. I, I would. Uh, it's got to be against every motherly instinct yes, that you fucking have yes, to do this. Yes. So why, after the first experiment, yes. aren't you like, you know what? Not for us. Right. We're good. Well, they bring him home, or not? I mean, he didn't stay at the lab, but now they start doing implementing these strategies at home. But it turns physical, like I said. He would get, so this is what they did at home. You would get a red or black poker chip, right? Red for feminine actions, behavior, playing with dolls or anything like that that was considered like sissy-like behavior. Black for the masculine behavior. And he would get like these vicious beatings from his father (gasps) based on the amount of red chips that he had, okay? So I'm gonna quote directly from the CNN article because like, it just was horrible. The family said the spakings were severe. Maris remembers, quote, lots of belt incidents. Oh, She escaped the screaming by going to her bed to, quote, lay in the room with my pillow on my head. Oh, that's nice. Later, she would go to Kirk's bedroom and, quote, lay down and hug him. Fuck and we you. would just lay there. And the thing that I remember is that he never even showed anger. He was just numb. You've you've psychologically beaten this fucking kid, and you know what's worse than and the he parent probably that doesn't understand what he's doing. Worse, that's wrong. No, he it's probably right. doesn't understand like what am I doing? Five years wrong? old. Five years old. What could I be doing? Like fuck you. Oh my god. Fuck you. I f- <clears throat> go fuck yourself. His death is on your hands, bitch. Fuck you. Oh my god. You know what's worse than the person who beats you? The other parent who stands there and does fucking nothing. Does nothing. He. This it's, kid needed to be protected. And what? you did nothing. You fucking fed him to the lions. And so he, Fuck had, you. he had brothers. He had a sister. For, and for what and you know, for what reason? Because he likes to play with a doll? I know. I mean, the, the, one of the brothers, and again, please go read the article because it's heartbreaking. And, and, and the mother clearly, like, I, you, she clearly, I think, feels. Oh, that's nice. But. Go I, fuck yourself. I know. It's, it's, it's dangerous. And you know what? I don't care when it became acceptable that your your child is is in the gay community. You know standing there that it's fucking wrong. Right. You know in the moment that it's the wrong thing to fucking do. It's going against everything of who you are. We have instincts as mothers. Oh my God. Very rarely does it become like, I don't want to be a, you know, that happens, but right. very rarely. We have instincts to protect our children. Oh my God. And this fucking woman did the exact opposite. Oh, you feel bad now? Please, bitch. I know. Fuck that. So- the article talks about what the brother and that the siblings talk about like what it was like growing up at that time. Oh my God. And one of the brothers said like he would, he would take chips off of the brothers yeah. pile and put it on his own because oh, they was, were all in the experiment he, too, I guess. But he, he was like, you know, cause he didn't want to see his brother getting beat. The, this kid, the sibling had more fucking sense yeah. than the mother. There's something wrong with that. Right, of like course, think about it, dummy. Course. And then like the brother said, and this was so sad. I'm sorry, my voice is crazy now, but the brother said that um, he looks back at photos and the photo of his brother at four, he's like, he's smiling. And he's like, I think that that's the last time he was ever truly happy. Jesus. Because they like suppressed him. They, it's just like to look through his life and look at that and and, and know like this is the before and then this is the after. Yeah. And this poor kid doesn't know how to move, right? Uh, like now he's hesitant yes. about everything he's supposed to do because he doesn't want to get beaten for doing something that's not right. Like he's confused because he doesn't know. And Murphy's sister said, quote, the research has a postscript, right? Uh, uh, Rutgers oh research God. has a postscript that needs to be added. That is that Kirk Andrew Murphy was Craig 
and he was gay and he committed suicide. I want people to remember that this was a little boy who deserved, this makes me so sad, who deserved protection, respect, and unconditional love. I don't want him to be remembered as a science experiment. Oy. He was a person. Oh my God. Can you imagine like, no. like that they know like that their brother then suffered and they lived in this family and like he couldn't be who he was. And even though he was like so successful, had this great career, had done all this great stuff that, that he ended up taking his own life and probably didn't feel like maybe he had the support of family after what he went through. Listen, our child, we are all so fucked from our childhoods. Yes. Okay. I mean, this had, this is an extreme example of I abuse mean. and where you now for the rest of your life, you're psychologically, he's tied to that. Yes. And like and as a having big, to be super masculine, join you, the military, uh, yes. trying to like show off, you know what I mean? That like he's I'm super brave, masculine. I'm, tough, I'm this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this has, this, uh, he couldn't, he knew that he wanted what he wanted and he couldn't do it because he was terrified of it. That's what a fucking, and then we're going to find out, right? And the now, scandal. and now, and now, here, here comes, and now here's the scandal. Here comes the person who, 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 who did all of these things right. to him and right. who he really is. Right. So according to the advocate in 2010, when Rutgers is heading home from his European vacay, mm -hmm. he's photographed with a young man. This young man, he's coming back because he was living in Miami. Yeah, I remember this now. The, the elevator, right? This by young, the elevator? Um, I don't know about that elevator, but it's a luggage. It's luggage. Yes, that's right. So this young man happens to be a 20-year-old escort who went by Lucian or Gio on his Rent Boy profile mm -hmm. and Mark on his Men for Rent Now profile online, but he goes by Giovanni Roman. So that's who his he name. is. Yeah. So I have to read the excerpt from the New Times article because mm. it was so good. Um, and it was re reposted in uh, Queerty that I got it from. So on April 13th, the rent boy, whom we'll call Lucian, arrived at Miami International Airport on Iberian Airlines Flight 6123 after a 10-day fully subsidized trip to Europe. He was soon followed out of customs by an old man, with an atavistic mustache and a desperate blonde comb over. Oh, God. Pushing an overburdened baggage cart. That man was George Allen Wreckers of North Miami, the Callboys client, and as it happens, one of America's most prominent anti gay activists. Wreckers, a Baptist minister who is a leading, who is a leading scholar for the Christian right, left the terminal with his gay escort looking a bit discomfited when a picture of the two was snapped with a hot pink digital camera. <laughs> yeah. Get that camera Woo! out. Remember those little digital cameras that were so fucking cute? Oh yeah. my God. Like what the desperate blonde comb over. What a fucking piece with of the shit. With the baggage cart. And what then there's this yeah. young, beautiful man on his side. And you know what? Go have fun, motherfucker. Go have fun, Rutgers. Have fun. Leave everybody else alone. <clears throat> Leave yes. everybody alone. You fucking hypocritical Such piece of shit. Oh, just wait. Just wait to look. The excuses come pouring out. Oh, I love out. it. Oh, I remember this. this. So I remember good. this. Yeah. So according to the week, Wreckers allegedly took this kid on vacation with him as an assistant to carry his luggage. You mean carry his dick in his mouth? <laughs> <laughs> and whatnot. But also for research. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, he made are we doing experiments? Yes. We're going to do experiments in the bedroom? Ooh. So he made a statement on Facebook that read, Quote, like Jesus Christ, 
I deliberately spend time with sinners with the loving goal to try to help them. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too, baby. Woo! Oh my God. I mean, is oh. there anything better than the company of sinners? <laughs> yes. Hi. Oh my God. Hi, it's right. Oh my Tina. God. Hello. So good. Yeah. So a statement released by Wrecker stated, quote, Contrary to internet stories based on this slanderous article, following medical advice, Professor George Records requires an assistant to lift his luggage and travels because of an ongoing condition following surgery. <laughs> Professor Records was not involved in any illegal or sexual behavior with his travel assistant. Oh it's so, so good. ridiculous. It's so good. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> like one article was like, so like he went to rent a boy. Right. And it's all of these like men so like giving blowjobs. They're hot. Oh, they're like fuck, they're like yes. you know, with their hot bodies. Yes. And he's like, Oh, this guy looks like a great guy yeah. to help assist with carrying my yeah. luggage. Meanwhile, the guy <laughs> is he hired, a twink, you know? he hired him through rentable. Yeah, yeah. But he's like a twink, right? Like so he's this <gasps> tiny guy who's not gonna be able to pick up shit. Oh my you know what god. I mean? Except that dick, baby. Oh, hey. Yeah. hey. So, though records denied anything untoward happened, <laughs> Giovanni, <laughs> uh -oh. Giovanni Sing, baby. admitted to uh, having... So, at first, yeah. Giovanni, like, was like, nothing really happened. But yeah. then, like, I think once Giovanni realized that this was this anti-gay this person is, and yes. all of this, like, more stuff started coming out. Oh, so he's going to have the courage and bravery to say and, something? And he admitted to hooking up with records. Unbelievable. And according to Shepard of BuzzFeed News, allegedly he gave records a massage lots of massages with happy endings and according to p flag giovanni stated quote records likes to be rubbed down there and then he also said yes it's a situation where he's going against homosexuality when he's a homosexual that's you know? the situation like, that there it is that's like the situation I got, he's like he's got to come out so <laughs> this is this kind of situation the red boy's now yes. gonna tell us yes that's the situation i mean oh my god so there really of course there wasn't um you know, there's no charges. There's nothing like that. You know, no, it's just um, humiliation. Some of like the after, him. so some of the aftermath. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Newsweek cited Kathy Renna, an LGBTQ media expert, and she spoke about the issue of internalized homophobia mm. and the harm it causes. She stated, quote, there is an insidious and horrible impact of internalized homophobia. I have no problem pinning someone like Wreckers as the kind of person who is responsible for the suicides of young LGBTQ people. Ooh. And he's hired a rent boy. Yeah. You know, like you're doing all of this horrible stuff. You're leading people to be ashamed. You're doing conversion therapy. You're sitting in court. Yeah. And and now you're now this is what you're doing. Like, come on. Like, how want, dare you? I want to, how dare you? Yeah. It's one thing. Like if you're living closeted and you're married and, and you have children and, and you've decided like for your religion or for whatever it is, you have to live this life and you have something on the side, you know, okay. Like maybe for your family that might cause harm, but you're causing harm across America with the organizations you're founding mm. with the people that you're get it's fucked up. It's fucked up. I, I want to tell everybody, up. like, if you're listening to the audio, our camera died. So YouTube is like yes. ended, but Tina's still looking at I'm that still camera, working at the camera. It, I forgot. And I, I'm watching her and I'm Woo! like, she's still going on that camera. Hi. Yeah. We shouldn't do anything without a camera looking at us, quite we frankly. To, we need a, um, we, we need a, a different film setup. Maybe. Yeah, we do. This is what we're going to do. Anyway, so it works. his scandal also impacted other cases, specifically the Prop 8 ban of same-sex oh. marriage in California. So since, you know, he or his work 
was often cited as reasons in support of the ban. So the thing is, the New York Times reported on this issue as well, and they cited an expert in legal studies, Stephen Gillers, who stated, quote, each lawyer must tell the court if he comes to know that one of his witnesses has given false testimony. Ooh, yes. So if Rutgers is discredited as a witness, that could come into play. So like, you know, now it's like, oh, you're all these like times that you testified against, you know, um, fostering marriage yeah. and all of that. Well, now you're discredited because you can yeah. be discredited. So now we Love can relook this. at that. So I thought that was really cool. Absolutely. And then according to Go Pride Chicago, Rutgers had to step down from North. Boo hoo. Yeah. Bye. Commenting on his resignation, Rutgers stated, according to the Daily News, I will fight these false reports because oh, I have please. not engaged in any homosexual behavior whatsoever. Oh, so I am not sad. gay and never have been. You know what? That's so fucking sad, dude. So some Fuck points it. of interest oh, I'm God. rushing through. That's fine. Not only is this guy a horrifically dangerous hypocrite. Yeah. He may have also given us Rick Scott. So oh. when Scott was running for governor back in 2010, he was up against Bill McCollum <gasps> in the Republican yeah. primary. And McCollum was the one who got records to testify in the adoption trial in Florida and records when that scandal broke, McCollum was like sullied by it. Now I'm not saying he would have been better than Scott, but maybe he wouldn't have been able to win the state. Yeah. You know, who knows? Yeah. But what's more interesting here as equality Florida pointed out and tried to highlight at the time, McCollum had paid records close to $120,000 for that testimony. Oh my God. Despite records ideology being discredited. And the science are and all they, that shit. Are they allowed yeah. to pay? Um, I don't know. That doesn't seem right well, to me. Well, that's why that was like a, a thing. Like I a think donation maybe to, the, to that fucking cause of his? He got money. Wow. Uh, Besson's Falls Church article cited an interesting 1986 study by Dr. Henry Adams that found that men who were most vocal and adamantly homophobic were the most turned on by gay porn. Hi. Hi. That's and what I'm saying. And here he is. Yeah. I mean. Wow. And then... Um, this was another thing I found funny, not funny, but uh, another like person came out. Oh, and it was from a website, so like I couldn't find. Oh, that know. they were with him. Yes, Ooh. and this is from a, like a blog yeah. called the Constantine Report, and it cites a blog by a former porn star named Chaz who alleges that he too hooked up with records back when he was twenty years old oh, and working my. as a sex worker. No. Yes. Oh my God. So it was like a long time that he was engaging in this. Of course. So, and that's the story. Oh my God. It's so fucking good. Uh, I'm sorry. The camera died, everybody. Oh, also a real quick thank you to Medea. She uh, got us these beautiful shirts. I'm wearing it today. You could see it before the camera dies. Uh, A descent shirt. And she got one for herself and one for Hillary. So we can all be twinsies, twinsies, triples, triplies, triplies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, All right. uh, So anyway, I want to remind everybody too, to go to uh, listen to our little muck episode with Wes. Yes. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. I thought he was so good. I listened to it. I think twice. Already. Amazing. I fucking loved it. And um, please support us on Patreon. Please spread yes. the word about the podcast. We really would love all of your love and support. Yes, I send out I sent out Patreon notes this week. Ooh. Uh, to Brittany and oh to the guy Anthony on Twitter, who's apparently a big Odd Pods fan. So I sent Yay. him some, a sticker. And a handwritten note that was like, love you. <gasps> Hi. Oh. Oh, we're looking at the camera that's not yeah. there. Okay, it's bye. Like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm. 
And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do this without you.